passage tonight that we will get into is taken from Matthew chapter 26, verse 36 through 39. That's Matthew 26, verse 36 through 39. I want to say our lesson tonight really has a lot of... um, a lot of life lessons and, and, and practicalities of um, how we can really approach our Christian walk. Uh, a lot of times we want to um, be successful um, as we live for God. We want to be more consistent as we live for God and we get tripped up so often. And uh, I believe if we can um, really uh, focus for the next a uh, few minutes on what we will discuss. I believe that we will get a lot of um, tools or a lot of ideas or a lot of teaching that will help us be consistent in the Lord, that will help us be strong in the Lord, that will help us to be effective in the Lord. And so Matthew chapter 26, verse 36 says this in, in verse 36, Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, And said unto the disciples, sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee's and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, my soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou will. These are familiar passages of scriptures. But tonight, I hope I can have you see it the way the Lord will want to get us to understand some of what's written here. And so we'll talk tonight a little bit on that same topic. Not my will, but thine will be done. Not my will, but thine will be done. Again, as I said, we've we've read this many times. We've quoted this many times. And we feel like um, we may be living for the Lord uh As such, not my will, but thine will. But I hope that you will allow the word of God to challenge you tonight where you can really take something from it and say, you know what? I do need to do that. I do need to apply it in that manner in my life for me to be more consistent and be more effective as a child of God. The hour of Jesus's greatest temptation was at hand in a place called Gethsemane which means a place for pressing. So here you, there you are. Gethsemane is, is it, it's, it's called so because it has a meaning behind it, and the meaning is a place for pressing. As the events of that evening unfolded, the place for pressing turned out to be just as advertised, a place of pressing. That was a pivotal moment, not only in the life of Jesus himself, but also for all humanity. For what happened in the garden began to tip the scales away from judgment and in the favor of grace. Jesus had entered the garden to spend time in prayer for himself. 
for us and in anticipation of suffering that was to come. So, note from Jesus, Almighty God, our Savior. He understood the event that was before him. And because he understood the event that was before him, he did something about it. How often we know some things that are ahead of us and we don't approach it the way Jesus approached this. Jesus knew what was ahead of him. He knew what he was going to encounter. He knew the challenges that he faced. And he says, you know what? The only way I will be able to deal with the challenges, deal with this temptation, is to begin to pray. We need to pray about every temptation and every challenge that is before us. If we wait till it happens, it's too late. If we wait till it happens, we will fail. If we wait till it happens, it will overtake us. But if we can see it ahead and know, then we will pray. And when we pray, then we will be able to handle it. We will be able to deal with it. That will be in a pleasing way unto the Lord. But we have to see it ahead. We have to see it coming. We have to know it was coming. And we'll talk a little bit about that in a little bit as to how do we know what is ahead as people of God. That was God in flesh. It was prophesied to him. He knew it because he was God in flesh. What was ahead of him? How would we know? Well, there's a way for us to know as well what is ahead of us. What will we encounter? If we will do as Jesus did, then we will have a way of knowing what is ahead of us, and when should we go into prayer concerning that situation? And so we don't want to wait till things happen to go. We want to go. Having just finished the Passover meal with his disciples, Jesus understood that what was coming was going to be difficult. So he went to prayer and asked his own disciples to join him in prayer. His prayer was agonizing and sorrowful. It was a prayer that came from the depths of his being, a prayer that wrestled with the impending will of God, which he knew must be obeyed. As time wore on, the disciples fought, sleep, and were unable to watch and pray. Here's another lesson. You will pray for yourself more effective than anybody else will pray for you. Oh, we don't want to hear that. Nobody will pray more effectively except for Jesus. For your situation, for yourself, more than you. Because only you understand it. They might have a little understanding of what it is. You might share and say, hey, I'm going through this. Or, hey, you know, I got this situation. Pray with me. And that's cool. And they will. And, yes, God, hear your prayers. But when you get on your knees or you lay out or you stand or you walk around to pray about your situation, believe me, it's a whole different ball game of how you approach it. The agony and the intensity and the effectiveness and the ferventness will cause you to pray in a way you've never prayed because you understand what you're up against. And so while I'm going to tell you, pray for me, I know if I'm going to reach the throne room of God, if I'm going to hear what I need to hear to make it through, I got to pray. 
And while you may spend two or three minutes and just throw up a prayer for me, I may spend half hour and 45 minutes and an hour just praying, God, I need your help in this situation. God, give me the strength that when I encounter it, it will be nothing to me. God, I need for you to help me in this situation. It's different. It's different. So while Jesus asked his disciples to pray with him, he prayed also for himself. And it turned out he was more effective and, and, and fervent in his prayer because why? He kept praying while they were falling asleep. He kept praying and they fell asleep. Jesus continued to wrestle with the will of God. That's what he was praying about. He was praying about the will of God. You need to make a side note of that. Jesus was praying about the will of God. The challenge he was was facing was about the will of God. The temptation that he was facing was concerning the will of God. That's what he decided he was praying about. Three times Jesus prayed for this cup of suffering to pass from him three times with great agony and sorrow jesus pleaded with the father but his ultimate submission was found in one word nevertheless it may seem insignificant to the casual reader but in that one word the weight of eternity dropped onto the shoulders of the messiah so just picture this picture this Jesus knew he had to go to the cross and take on the sins of the world from Adam in the garden all the way up to Jesus to those that time Jesus was here till our time until Jesus returned the second time. All the sins that were committed, all the sins that were being committed, and all the sins that would be committed, he had to carry those sins in order for everybody that walked this earth to have the opportunity to have their sins forgiven. So in order for for us to have power over sin, in order for us to have the opportunity to repent of our sins, Jesus had to bear all of that as he prayed and seek God. And so that's what he was struggling with because how many know sin is weighty, is heavy. Most people will tell you when they get baptized in water in the name of Jesus Christ, when you come out of that water, you feel loose and light and you feel like, okay, something is different here. I couldn't see anything different, but I know I feel different because sin is heavy. And if you want another example, think about it like this. Sometimes when we're doing wrong, it just seems, just just life seems more of a struggle because you're doing wrong. Why? Because sin is heavy. So think about the weight that Jesus was carrying because he was carrying the sins of the entire world. That's what he was struggling with. That's what he prayed about. Oh, God, uh, let this cup pass. Let the cup of all this weight uh, and burden and sin of this world, uh, let it go from me because it's so hard. I, I don't think I can bear this, Lord. This, this seems so hard to bear. And he prayed that prayer, Lord, it seems so hard to bear. All of the sins of our world, he was carrying it. He was aware that he was facing the final moments of his life if he chose to bear the sins of the world. Moments 
that would be filled with pain, abandonment, and embarrassment. There is no reason to doubt why he wrestled with that decision, knowing what he now know on this side of Calvary. So let me give you another thing that you need to think about as you live for God, as we're trying to be like Jesus. One of the reasons we can say why Jesus submitted to the will of God of bearing the sins of the world was because he knew that's exactly why he came to the world. If I haven't learned a whole lot about the scriptures, I've learned this one thing. The men and women of God that we read about in the Bible, what made them continue on and had just strength and, 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 and stick to itness and, and grit and determination. What gave them that was they all knew they were here for a purpose. That's the key for any child of God. The day you come to a place as a child of God and say, I know why I am put here. I know why God brought me into this world. The day you know that for sure will be the day death got to wait on you. Will be the day you get strengthened and empowered. Will be the day your life will never be the same because you will know. And so when you're challenged and when you have situations, you will know what to do about them because you know your purpose. Can you imagine coming out the womb and knowing that there's one day going to become a day where the word of God is going to be proclaimed to a nation who has never heard the word of God and God has chose you to proclaim his word to a nation that never knew and don't know who he is and you know that's your mission. And while you come out of the womb and you start to grow up and you know that nation has never heard the word, but God has already prepared me and is preparing me to go and proclaiming you know if you on the plane and that plane go down what's going to happen you can't die can you imagine that you come out of the womb and God speak to you you will proclaim the gospel in Trenton New Jersey they don't have a preacher to preach the gospel in Trenton but you will it don't matter what kind of car wreck you get into it don't matter how many times you get shot it doesn't matter nothing because you can't die because God don't make mistakes. If God says you will do it, it's not going to be somebody else. It's going to be you. If we can come and begin to seek God to understand his purpose for our life, game over, baby. We can't even understand how hard and what kind of pain and struggle that Christ was dealing with in order to carry the sins of the world. But Christ knew why he came to this earth. He knew why he became a man. He knew what the people of this world needed. So when he came, regardless of the struggle, he knew, I got to get this done. This is why I was born into this world in order to save the people. So I know why I'm here. And so no matter how hard it is, I know why I'm here. That's heavy. You come to know why you're here. You know when you're supposed to be present, where you're supposed to be present. You know how to handle things because you know I'm here for a purpose. I'm not just, I'm just not a happy-go-lucky. I'm just not like a chaff in the wind that got blown. I know my purpose. Because Jesus submitted to God's will, 
humanity was offered freedom, the opportunity to forever set free the bondage of sin and Satan. Can I tell you this? Jesus, still today, he does this. He never look at the very thing in front of him. He always look at the end, the end results, the end results. More, more understanding here tonight. Whatever you're going through, if you're a child of God, always just remember the end result. There's coming a day where I'm going to be with Christ. I'm going to be in a place where he is. And there's never going to be any more pain and any more dying. I won't struggle financially. I won't have to worry about fixing my house. I won't have to worry about my car. I won't have to worry about how much money I have or don't have. I won't have to worry about the kids giving me a headache. I won't have to worry about some husband or some wife. I won't have to worry about none of it. My life will just be perfect. That day is coming. And when we start to go through, we got to stop and say, what is the end result? Where am I going? And we got to govern our lives like that to know what the end results are in the direction that we're going in. And so no matter how it went or how it's going, say, I'm good. I'm good. It's not that bad. Can I tell you? I said this to someone the other day. I said, we need to stop taking life so serious. I'm serious. We take it so serious that we make it almost like we're just losing it. Not losing nothing. Because nothing is that serious. Especially in Christ. We like to talk about the God of a second chance. The God of a third chance. The God that's merciful, the God that's gracious, the God that... So if that's all true, why am I taking life so serious? What am I worried about? It's going to be all right. No matter what's going on, no matter how bad it is, it's going to be all right. It's not that bad. I'll overcome it. I'll forget about it in a couple years, as a matter of fact. How many things has gone wrong in your life and you thought the world was ending uh, and now you look back, you can't even remember all how it went. Gotta stop taking this thing so serious. Because if we get so serious into it, we get all clammed up and we get all tensed up and uh, we start to w concentrate on what we can do and not what God can do. From this powerful moment in biblical history, we have been given insight into what is true, what it truly means to follow and obey the will of God. So a lot of people like to talk about the will of God. Jesus has given us the blueprint to understand what is the will of God. We'll talk about that a little bit more. The will of God is something we often believe to be difficult to determine. How you know you in the will of God and what is the will of God? And everybody got different opinions about the will of God. You get the will of God two ways. You're going to know the will of God two ways. No other way. Two ways. By the word of God. And by the Spirit of God. By the Word of God and by the Spirit of God is how you will understand the will of God. 
Go back and look at Jesus' life. Again, that's our blueprint tonight. That's why we that's where we're staying at tonight is how Jesus went about his business and how he was able to overcome the, the struggle that he had to deal with. We will know the will of God by reading the word of God and by the spirit of God. Even the pastor that God will use to lead you. If he tells you the will of God and is not in the word of God, watch out now. Watch out now. Come up with something to tell you. This is what God is calling you to do. He can't find no scripture for it. Watch out now. The will of God will always be written or it will be it will come to you by the spirit. Now, hear this. When the spirit of God speaks to you about the will of God, guess what? You will be able to locate it. In the word of God. So if you say the spirit of God tells you something, I'm going to listen to you and I'm going to now check it with the written word of God. Because that's how we're going to know we're on the right track. So if you just just know that for sure, you come to me, well, I heard from the Lord and he says, blah, 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 blah. I'm going to say, okay, let's see if that's in the word of God. Because if that's not in the Bible, then then you misread, you misheard, you, you misheard what. You thought God was saying. So we will know what is the will of God for our life by the spirit of God. When I say spirit of God, it just means God will give you a thought. God will, 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 uh, he still can speak audibly to us. So in case you think that's a myth, you can hear a voice that God will speak something to you just like you hear my voice. It's not off the table. It's still on the table. So if he determined to do that, he will do that. Okay, then he can give you a thought that was that's clear as day that that seems like your thought, but it's not your thought because you can't think that smart. That's how you know it's him. You get this thought that's so clear and you know, wow. And then, you know, I'm just not this smart. So that must be God. Or you can say it's an impression that he gives you. So these are the ways that the spirit of God will work in your life for you to understand, okay, the spirit gave this to me. Now let me go and look in the written word and see what the written word says about what I think the spirit just gave me. Because if it's not in the written word, I probably heard from myself. So here is how we're going to accomplish the will of God. All of us, here is how we will accomplish the will of God. You have to understand the components of the human being. Understand what makes up the human being. And so some of you have heard this before, some of you haven't. Here is our makeup as human being. The first thing I want to mention to you is you're made up of a mind. You have a mind, right? And your mind is that part of you which is most influenced by your spirit. Your mind is most influenced by your spirit. Now, here is the challenge with that. Your spirit died when Adam sinned in the garden. Your mind is most influenced by your spirit. But because of sin, your spirit is tainted. Your spirit is not a good spirit anymore. When Adam was in the garden before they sinned, it was all good. But when they sinned, their spirit died. It wasn't alive anymore. So man has a, 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 a spirit that's just not alive anymore according to the spirit of God. Now you understand why we really need the Holy Ghost. 
Because if we have to rely on ourselves, we will be misled because our spirit is corrupt. It's, it's not a good spirit anymore when we sinned. So if you think you can come up with all good thinking, if you think that you can work all of this great thought in your mind and you can come up with something special and that's how you're going to live your life, you're fooling yourself. We're all corrupt in our thinking because of sin. And while we can figure out to do some things here that's right here and there, it's still the only good thing we do is what God says is good. I was teaching a Bible study on Tuesday, and when I was done, the question was, so I got a question. I said, what's that? He said, uh, there are people that, you know, that do really good things, and, and, and they're really kind, and they do better than even some people in church and all this stuff. What will happen to them when God come back? You want me to tell you what I told them? They're arrogant and self-centered as much as you think they're good. Mess with me. I love the Holy Ghost. I said they're arrogant and self-centered because they think they can earn their way by doing good things. They think that if I do this, won't God? They're trying to make God accept them because of their goodness. Are you kidding me? None of us is good for God to say, oh, you're so good, uh, Bob, that's so wonderful. Uh, I'm going to accept you. You're kidding me. What? Here's what we do. And we got to be careful of this. We do what we want and not what God wants. <laughs> that's what a lot of people do. Even in church, we still do that. We do what we want and not what God wants, and then we, we process it in our corrupt thinking because that spirit is not right, it's dead, and we process it in our corrupt thinking and says, well, ain't that something like God anyway? That's a good God thing? Wrong. The Lord says, you must be born again of the water and of the spirit. And I don't care how much good you do, I said you must be born again. So you can go around here and be nice to your husband, be nice to your wife, give things to people, talk nice to people, you're still not born again. So a lot of times, and, and sometimes when we do good, we're trying to cover up some bad that we're doing. Matter of fact, the Lord dropped something in my spirit when I was talking to him, I said, listen, there are people that, have, that, that haven't spoken to their children in years, but they're out there doing good stuff. What are you telling me about that? Tell me something about that. You don't know that they haven't spoken to their children in 12 years. You don't know that. But you see them doing something good, and you're like, oh, they're so nice. How do you know? And then God dropped the scripture on me. I said, man, God, don't mess with these people tonight. Leave them alone, Lord. The Lord reminded me of the guy that approached Jesus, and Jesus said, you know, you know, he, he want to know, well, how do I inherit eternal life? And God said, well, you know, the commandments and he ran them off and all that stuff. And, 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 Jesus, and, and the guy said to Jesus, I've kept those from my youth. God said, mm -hmm, I knew you was going to say that. Now, this is what I want for you to do. Now go sell all that you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me. The boy left sorrowfully is what the Bible says. So all that, that so that's the scripture for you doing good. The boy was doing all kind of good stuff. But when he came to Jesus, Jesus hit him right where it hurt. 
Don't camouflage that you're not following me. You're not following me. You're doing what you wanted, and some of the stuff you're doing is only because you have the means to do it. And so you're passing it off like you're this good dude because you, you have the means to do it, and you're doing all this stuff for everybody. Say, oh, look at you, self-centered. You want to be recognized. Oh, look out. And you're showing off so everybody can see. But your heart still wasn't right. Because when I told you to sell all that you had and give the money to the poor and follow me, what did you do? Yeah. Yeah. So our spirit is tainted. We can't rely on our spirit. And the bottom line is our spirit is supposed to control our mind. Okay? Then we have a will. What is our will? Our will is that part of us which is the seat of our identity and personality. Then we have emotions. That that part of us which is most influenced by our body. So here's how the Lord wants us to do. Here's how the Lord gets it done in our life. Here's how you're going to be able to get the will of God done in your life. Because you can't do God's will on your own. You can't do God's will because you're sharp and smart and brilliant. You need God to do God's will. So here's how you do it. The Holy Ghost has to empower your spirit. Now you see why we need the Holy Ghost. Because your spirit is tainted and dead. And if all you do the rest of your life is let your spirit dictate your actions, you can only do but so much. Because your stuff is all corrupt. When Adam Cindy sent it on to all of us. And so when you're relying on your spirit, sooner or later you're going to mess up. You're going to make a mess because your, your spirit is tainted. And that's what's supposed to empower your mind and your thoughts so you can do what you're supposed to do. So in order to do the will of God, we need the Holy Ghost to empower our spirit. When the Holy Ghost empower our spirit, then now our spirit will direct our mind. Huh. I hear the Holy Ghost. You want to hear how Christians mess up? So the Holy Ghost empower your spirit. And by the time your spirit send the signal to your mind, right in that split second, your spirit did what it wanted. Because how this is supposed to work is the Holy Ghost signal, put a, send, a, send a, a signal to your spirit, and your spirit tell your mind what to do. So now your mind know what to do, and your mind will instruct your will. Your mind controls your action. Whatever you, that's why people, you know, they say all these things. I'm not going to get into that tonight. But people like to say, if you can just conceive it in your mind, if you can just believe it, it will happen. There's some truth to it, but it ain't all truth. But once the Holy Ghost empowers your spirit and you don't interfere with your uh, carnal mind, then, then your, your spirit will move into getting your mind to, to conceptualize what the Holy Ghost just placed inside of it. Now it controls your will. So now when your mind is made up to do something, what does it do? It makes the body do what needs to be done. So that's how we get things done. You get it done that way naturally, and you get it done spiritually. So think about that. The way how you do things, it gets done the same way every time. But sometimes it's being influenced by the Holy Ghost, and other times it's being influenced 
by your tainted spirit. So if your spirit never gets uh, moved on, overpowered by the Holy Ghost, then you're sending bad signals to your mind for your mind to begin to carry out actions. And, and, and once your mind get it down into your will, then now you will yourself to do things. This is what I'm going to do. So, so when you come to church or not coming to church, you willed yourself to that. We don't always feel like coming to church. So when we, when we do come, when we don't feel like coming, we willed ourselves to come. Sometimes that's the Holy Ghost influencing your mind and your mind influencing your will. But sometimes it's just your regular mind that understands that that's right. You better do it. <laughs> and so when your mind instructs your will, your will is to dictate the course and set your affections. So we have affections for things that we like. But we never stop to think, if you like that, you can stop liking it. And for something that you don't like, you can start liking. Did we ever think like that? Uh-huh. So what am I trying to tell you? I don't like to pray. I'm not saying me. I'm just saying, you might be an I don't like to pray. You can like praying. And the way you're going to like praying is the Holy Ghost will move on your spirit and your spirit will put it in your mind and your mind will dictate to your will this is what you need to do and your will carry it out. You do it enough time and you're going to like to pray. So just think about a food probably you never ate when you were younger because you didn't like it. Ew, nasty. But as you got older, you realize, I started drinking the worst juice in the world that I ever thought. I thought it was the worst juice in the world. I hated it. I mean, uh, carrot juice I, I didn't like, and that was bad, but I knew it wasn't that bad. But this juice was the worst. I said, I, I detest it. But I just found out the other day that it makes my blood flow nice and easy and it works good in my body. I said, Lord, I got to drink that nasty thing because, you know, I, I want to make sure I'm healthy. Beet juice. Beet juice. It's the worst thing in the world to drink. Man, I started sipping that thing a little bit. I said, guess what I said? It's not that bad. That's not true. But 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 you do it enough and, let, and will yourself to it, you become accustomed to it and say, okay. My wife thought she was big and bad trying to taste it because she's like, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. She tasted it. Yeah, you can keep that. It's, it's bad. Beet juice is bad. And it's always been the worst thing for me. And when I realized, you know what, I need to drink that sometimes, I said, all right, all right. So we can will ourselves to do things if we, if we do it enough. We will ourselves to do things that are wrong. So it's clear that if we rely on the Holy Ghost, it can help us will ourselves to do godly things. Amen? Mm -hmm. The account of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane holds many lessons for us in how to recognize and surrender to the will of God. And that's what we're talking about. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine will be done. It is interesting, listen to this one, more stuff here, to compare 
what happened in the Garden of Eden to what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane. You ever, you ever thought about the two gardens? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Listen to this. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve failed by yielding to the temptation of Satan. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus overcame by yielding to the will of God. Although the effects of Adam and Eve's decision in the Garden of Eden totally altered the trajectory of of the human race, the decision of Jesus also had an eternal ramification. I like this. The Bible says, and we'll read in a second, by one man sin entered into the world. Adam caused our spirit to become sick and dead. And now sin became a part of us. We obtained the sin nature. And so we all started sinning because Adam and Eve sinned. But God's law is so nice where he said, if one man can cause the whole world to sin, why can't one man cause the whole world to become righteous? Isn't that something? God is, God is just, he's a smooth operator, man. No matter what, he operates according to the word of God, according to the law. He doesn't break anything and he gets it done. He didn't make up some stuff to try to uh, save us. He didn't come up with some, you know, okie doke and say, well, I'm God. I can do it anyway. You know, like a husband can try to sometimes husband say to their wife, don't talk to me like I'm the husband. God could have said that so many times when he was walking the earth. Don't you know who I am? I'm the almighty. I created you. Relax. I can do this. He could have said that many times, but he never did. He followed everything, every law. You, you always hear me say, that's probably, I think, in my opinion, probably is one of the most impressive things that God did. Yeah, I know creating us is impressive. Yeah, I know giving us the Holy Spirit is impressive. I know all of that stuff. But I think what's really impressive is when he became a man, a human being, and walked this earth, he did followed all the laws we are accustomed to and had to follow and never broke one of them. Never went outside any of them. He just just rolled. I'm like, God, you bad. So in Romans 5 and 12, and I, well, King James Version, it says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Verse 19 says, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. I love that. The Garden of Eden was a place. Here's another lesson you're going to learn from this lesson here. The Garden of Eden was a place of peace, paradise. Great joy. But it became a place of judgment and tremendous regret. There once had been provision, purpose, and God's presence always near. Yet the decision 
of one man and one woman eradicated any semblance of paradise when God's will was abandoned at the altar of human pride and self-will, the consequences were severe and death became certain. Sadly, the impact of their disobedience is still being felt today throughout every corner of the earth. One selfish decision had altered history. That's not the only one. Because we have the, um, the Abraham and Sarah one altered history too. On the other hand, the Garden of Gethsemane was a place of great sorrow, anguish, and suffering. But it became a place of great victory. The prayer of Jesus in the garden and the words he spoke revealed the magnitude of his decision. Listen. Here's something we run away from, but it can't be any more true than it is. Easy stuff. Gets us in trouble every time. When life is easy, when things are all great, when we celebrate and we're just, oh man, it's all bliss. When it's like that, Tony, it always gets us in trouble because we start to go off course. But when times are rough and it's challenging and rigid and we have to struggle, usually that's what helps us to become strong. That's what helps us to become overcomers. And so if we ever want to get this thing right, the Lord has to allow some obstacles. He has to allow some challenges. He has to allow some struggles and some things that we have to work through in order to become strong because if this thing is just so easy for us we will become spoiled and we will get off course and we will find ourselves making a mess as opposed to making things good we have to consider that and know it's true I know we don't like it I don't like it any more than you like it but believe me when it's easy it's not good for us When it's easy, it's not good for us. When children experience easy life, they become spoiled. When children experience life just being really good for them, they just think the world is theirs. But when you have to work and fight and claw and push and work hard, it's a different ball game. Right, Brother D? Brother D knows. It's probably the struggle that we have to deal with in raising children. Because we know what we had to go through, some of us do anyway, had to go through in order to get things moving. And as you take care of them and provide for them, they act like it's no big deal, like you owed that to them. And Lord knows once they become 18, you don't owe them nothing. They're all grown. But somehow they feel like you still owe them for the rest of your life. I mean, we're going to be fathers and mothers for the rest of our life to our children, but the children seem to think you're supposed to baby them still. You'll find out about that, pastors. You'll find out about that. Get the kid and the kid just think you just owe them the world. Yeah. But we ought to be okay 
with an environment that that challenges us. We ought to be okay with struggles. We ought to be okay with challenges. Don't get all bent out of shape and all concerned and worried. Let's just meet those challenges head on and say, I'd rather these challenges because these are the things that will strengthen me. These are the things that will make me an overcomer and not the easy comfort of life. This struggle was made evident as Jesus prayed. Three times Jesus prayed the cup would pass from him. My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying, Father, if this cup could pass from me. Three times he prayed and asked. The Bible liked to confirm certain things. And Jesus had his struggle that he had to deal with. And he had a challenge. Do I accept the will of God and carry it out? Or do I reject the will of God? You know who else had a situation like that? Not quite like Jesus is, but he had a struggle, just like me and you will have a struggle. And we think that living for God, we won't have any struggles, but God knows what he's doing. Somebody need to identify with that, that God knows what he's doing. The Apostle Paul had a situation. Lord, can you remove this thorn? Three times he asked, and the Lord said, my grace is sufficient, don't worry about it. We can't expect to do the will of God thinking it's going to be easy. That, that everything is going to be comfortable for us. And, and everything is just going to be, work just right. No, what we need to do is just find out what the will of God is. And once we find that out, just know there will be struggles. Just know there will be challenges. But just know God is working in you, with you, for you, through you, because you now understand what your purpose in God really is. Once you know that, mm, 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 mm. this passage not only revealed that it was indeed a struggle, but it shows that Jesus submitted to the will of God. Submitting to the will of God is more than just a mental decision. It's just not a mental decision. Submitting to the will of God will cause you to, to, to have a, a change in lifestyle. It, 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 it's it's going to upset the apple cart. It won't be business as usual. Things will not just be casually just, just like it's always been. When you're going to do the will of God, your whole life is going to be turned upside down. Yeah. Remember, I always say this to you. Jesus is asking you to embrace and accept his will because he accepted the will of the Father. And what he accepted was to give his life. And for many of us here tonight, I doubt if what he's asking us to do is to be crucified like he was. So what he's saying is, I'm asking you to accept my will. I'm asking you to accept my purpose, but you don't have to go to the lengths I went to. 
just surrender to my will and let your life be different and be changed to complete what I'm asking you to complete. Yep. It's not going to be easy. But again, if we can go back to thinking how I say we can will ourselves to do things. And after a while, it will become just what you are and what it's all about. If you allow the Holy Spirit, if you allow the word of God to communicate to your spirit and your spirit downloaded into your mind and your mind instruct your will and you begin to get it done, what you don't like will become something you do like. So you might not like the will of God just staring at it in your carnal mind. You might say, no, 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 no. Even Jesus did that. So you're in good company when you look at something that's just just like, oh, that's just not my thing. I, I just can't. It's okay. But when will you do like Jesus and says, nevertheless, I don't like what it looks like. Nevertheless, I don't think I can do that on my own. Nevertheless, I don't like what that's all about. Nevertheless. Not as I will, but thine will. It's going to change who you are. It's going to change who you are. And you've been hearing me say this for a little bit. We want to be who we want to be, not who Jesus wants us to be. And that's mankind's struggle. Bob, we want to be who we want to be, not what God wants us to be. And that's the struggle that we have within us right now. That will always be there. Do you want to be who you want to be or do you want to be what God wants you to be? Will you trust that God can make you better than what you can make of yourself? Because <laughs> that's what it really comes down to when you're saying, I just need to, okay, go ahead and be who you want to be. Let's see at the end what is better. Is it what you did on your own, how you wanted to be, or was it? How God was working in your life because you totally submitted to him because you totally surrendered to him. Now he starts to shape you and mold you and make you more like him. And at the end, you can see your life then when you submitted to his will. But when you did what you wanted. You know. It takes courage. I heard this said and I agree with it now. It takes courage to get old. For those of you that are still young, it takes courage to get old because things start to change in your body. The way you are start to change and, and, and it, it, it concerns you a little bit because things aren't functioning the way it used to function. Things aren't recovering the way it used to recover. And so you know, you know your, 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 your mortality is coming to an end because you know, I used to be able to do this and I can't. Just use that as a sign to say, let me just give myself to Jesus. That's what I'm trying to get at. Since you can see that little thing, that as long as you're living in your flesh and as long as you're here, you know that you have a mortality that's coming to an end. But if I can surrender and take on Jesus Christ, his mission, his plan, and his purpose for my life, even though that life is coming to an end, I know it's going to be a good ending because I'm following Jesus and not myself. I know the ending is going to be all right. And I know I don't have to fear death. I know I don't have to fear anything because the ending is going to be all right. I am with Jesus. But if I keep doing what I want, at the end... What do I have to look forward to? 
My body breaking down. You're not rolling with the crowd, everybody doing their stuff on their own, and you're just by yourself. Your, your, your circle of influence go way down the older you get. Way down. And sometimes you think, man, I used to be able to, and now you look around, you ain't influencing nobody. All right, let me finish this up. By submitting to the, submitting to the will of God, Jesus understood the magnitude of the moment in four unique areas. So, so again, because he knew his purpose, because he understood that he was on a mission, and because he understood that he was here for, to accomplish a purpose, he was able to look at all the things that here are the reasons why I really need to go, go through with it. Again, when you know and understand purpose, it pushes you to know here are the reasons why I know I have to go through it. I have to go through it. I have to go through it because I know I have purpose. I know this is why I came. So one of the reasons that he looked at why he knew this is part of his purpose, why he knew he had to go through with it, he knew he was taking on the sins of the world. Did you know when he cried on the cross, you know, my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? Do you know why he cried out like that? It meant that the spirit and the body separated at that time which means the spirit was no longer communicating with the body, was no longer communicating with the human side of the man. And so when you don't have God in your life and you're going through pain, you can't bear it. The only way you can bear pain when you're going through is when you have God in your life. <laughs> and so he cried out. The Bible tells us from way back in Genesis, our sin will separate us from God. So on the cross, we learn that our sin will separate us. So the sin that he took on, because he didn't take it on until he agreed in the garden. So he kept praying in the garden. But when he finally said, nevertheless, the third time, not as I will, but thy will, that's when he said, I'll take it on. And that's when the struggle and the suffering and the pain became unbearable. And that's when God could no longer, as, as spirit, work in his life because God will not have anything to do with sin. And so he felt forsaken. And so he cried out. So he knew he had to take on the sins of the world. The other thing he knew, he knew he was going to be separated from God by carrying these sins. When you know your purpose, you can calculate all the stuff in between. <laughs> he was going to provide victory over sin for all humanity. So he knew by going through with this, everybody will be able to overcome sin if they look to him. So he, he had to keep on talking himself through. I got to go through with this. There's too much at stake. I have to go through with this. Then he revealed the need for obedience to the will of God. So that was the fourth thing that he finally did, that he says, I have to let you all see that, that, that I'm the example because everyone is supposed to become eventually. Our goal in life, in case you, you still don't know the in-between purpose of your life, here is the big purpose and the big goal, to become like Christ. Just, just so we don't get anything out of the, you know, get any crazy thoughts. Your purpose in life 
all your walk and all your challenge and all your struggle and all the prayers you pray and all the time you read the Bible and all the time you come to church, what you're trying to do to become like Jesus Christ. That's what you're trying to do. Now, all of us will have an assigned purpose, but 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 the, the, the number one goal is that we will become like him. So when he submitted to the will of God, what he's saying is, if I'm your example, what should you do? What should you do? My will be done. Jesus settled history by declaring, not my will, but thine be done. Adam started this crazy mess by saying, his will be done. When you say your will be done, you're going to bring mess in your life. When you say, oh, this is just, just how I feel, you're going to bring mess in your life. When, when, when you just allow the things that you like to be the things that you embrace, you're going to bring mess in your life. We have to all get to the place where we say, not my will, but thine will. Jesus prayed fervently in the garden. It was not a quick lay me down to sleep prayer. When you're praying for the will of God to be done in, in life, in your life, it don't need to be some just say a couple words. It need to be intense. And so when, when you're dealing with the will of God, when you're dealing with temptation and challenges and struggle, that's the prayer that's going to be effectual. That's the prayer that's going to be intense. That's the prayer that's going to cause some struggle. That's the prayer there that you need to understand. It won't be like some of the other prayers. That prayer is going to be intense, just like it was for Jesus. So if I'm praying because I'm dealing with temptation, it can't just be, Lord, help me with this temptation. If I'm praying because I am trying to get the will of God to be done, it can't just be, God, just let your will be done. It's, it's going to have to be some intense prayer like Jesus, agonizing prayer. Because here, here is something that I'll tell you. Usually... I'll finish up with this. Usually, the will of God for your life is something that you don't want to do. Go back to Jesus, right? Am I out of the book? Usually, the will of God is something you don't like to do or you don't want to do. Sometimes we weigh down in your sub subconscious that you're saying, Somehow you have a thought saying, I don't want to do that. And, and when you weigh it and realize, but it's godly, you don't know why you feel like you don't want to do that. That's because your flesh, your physical nature, your lower nature, according to the Bible, is saying, I don't want to do that. That's, that's, not, that, that's not satisfying to the flesh. That's not comfortable for me. And so usually the will of God is something that you don't want to do. The will of God is not usually something you want to do. And this is why sometimes I remember, you know, uh, people used to say back in the day, preachers, young, young kids will come to them and talk about God called me to preach. And a lot of times they give them the, the, the runaround and make them work hard because they know usually the will of God is something we don't want to do. When people are ready to run and says, I think this is what I should be doing, usually is not what God wants for them. It's what they feel like they should do. It's what's comfortable for them. Uh-huh. 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 Ushering was comfortable to me. Uh-huh. 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 I remember 
remember like it was yesterday. My wife can probably remember. I remember when my pastor was first introducing me to stand in his feet before people. Uh, I remember coming down sweating like they probably weighed every word that I just said. I probably said things the wrong way. I, it just, I was mortified about what all the stuff, all the mistakes that I probably made. I would just, I would just, ah! The more I think about it, the more I was like, oh, no. Then, then my mom and dad told me I said this. I'm like, ah! It was bad. So I was uncomfortable with that. I didn't want that. Because that didn't make me feel good. Because I don't like to look bad in front of people. I don't want to be, you know, be a spectacle, so to speak. So because I worry about being a spectacle so bad, the safest way to handle that is just not have to stand in front of anybody. That way I don't have to be a spectacle. And so every time I had to go up, I sweat like you wouldn't know. Because it was uncomfortable. The will of God is usually not something you want to do. The will of God is usually something that God wants from you that you don't really want for yourself. Because when you understand God, you understand whatever it is that God is calling you to do, it's going to cost you being different. It's going to cost you sacrificing your life. It's going to cost you being your your whole life is just going to be changed. And so the will of God is usually something you don't want to do. But in time when you pray agonizing prayer, when you pray effectual and fervent prayer Bob, then you begin to just all right God, okay. Because he starts to reassure you I'll be with you. Don't worry about it. He starts to reassure you that if you go, I will be with you. And so you start to just surrender to the will of God because you know he's going to be there. But it's not because you really think it was going to be, oh, yeah, this is going to be glorious. And if you think, I'll give you a, a, an awakening. And so let's just say you decided that, man, that's what I think the will of God is for my life. And you ended up doing that. And that actually was the will of God for your life. In the process of you doing it, you're going to get a rude awakening. So, so may, maybe, you know, you were born and, and raised in church. And so, you know, I'm, I'm called to be a preacher. And you just think, yeah. All right. And that was all true. And you'll start to do it. And you're going to start to go through some stuff. Because you had in your mind, you saw things that other people did, and you're like, I'll never. And then you start doing it, and then you realize, oh, this is not what I thought it would be. Because the will of God is not something usually that's comfortable for us. The will of God will become uncomfortable. The will of God will challenge us. The will of God will not feel comfortable. But guess what? There is no place that I'd rather be than be in the will of God. There is no place I'd rather be than to be doing what God say to do. I don't care how hard it is. I don't care how challenging it is. If that's what God want me to do, that's where I want to be. I know it's going to hurt. I know it's going to become frustrating. I know sometimes I'm going to be tired and worn out and don't want to do it. But the best place that any one of us could be is dead smack 
in the will of God. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I pray tonight that we as your people, Lord God, will not be afraid of your will. That, Lord, we will not hoard our life and try to protect our life. Because you said in your word, if we will lose our life for your sake, then we will gain eternal life. But if we gain our life for our sake, then we will lose out on eternal life. And I pray tonight, uh, I release boldness upon this congregation, uh, upon Christ-centered church. I release boldness. Uh, I release, oh God, the power of God in their life for them to say uh, not my will uh, but thine will be done and I pray Lord God that this church will be a people that will understand the best place for them to ever be it is in the will of God the best place for them to be is in your will and in spite of the challenges in spite of the hurt that it will cause in the process in spite oh God of the weariness and the challenges in spite Lord God of the suffering that will come with it at times. Lord, put in our heart, oh God, a burning desire and passion for the will of God that we will embrace it, that we will say, nevertheless, not my will, but thine will. I pray tonight, Lord God, that you will move on us as a people and that we will not be afraid and we will not be intimidated by the will of God. Lord, deliver us from selfishness, oh God. I pray that you will empty us, Lord God, uh, of selfishness uh, and complacency. Uh, remove from us, Lord God, uh, slothfulness, oh God. Uh, remove from us the things, Lord Jesus, uh, that makes us comfortable that, Lord, uh, we can grow and we can move forward uh, and we can com complete the will of God for our life. Lord, there's a great, great blessing, a crown stored up way across yonder for every one of us. Help us to finish this race in a right way with you. Help us to finish this race, oh God, in right stead with you. Help us to see the ending and, Lord God, not be weary. Help us to see across yonder to know what's waiting for us. That, Lord, nothing will intimidate us. Nothing will, will stop us from doing the will of God. Not my will. But thine will be done. Hallelujah. We thank and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Have a good night.